This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatnai, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Today, we're talking all about third wave coffee. But before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. Now, about a month ago, Teffer and I recorded an episode about the history of coffee and cappuccinos and our favorite ways to use coffee as an ingredient outside of just drinking it as a beverage. And at some point during that conversation, we talked a little bit about the ethics of coffee consumption. And, you know, neither of us is an expert on that. So we decided that it would be a good idea at some point to talk to someone who actually is an expert on that and works as a professional in the kind of ethical coffee world. And I always like to go to my friends first with this kind of thing, because I know a lot of people who have worked in a lot of, you know, different aspects of the food world. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) being uh, someone who comes from an entertainment background, I also know a lot of baristas. And uh, wouldn't you know it, I happen to know a lot of baristas who work in ethical coffee as well. Because if you spend enough time working in the coffee world, eventually you start to look into these kinds of things a little bit more, right? You start to think, okay, well, how can we make this better? How can we make this better for the world? How can we make this better for the clients? How can we make this better for the people who are producing the beans? My guest today is maybe my friend who has worked in the coffee world the longest and certainly is the most passionate of all of my friends about coffee, especially third wave coffee, which at the time of recording this interview, I knew next to nothing about. Uh, And by the end of it, I knew, I I think, a fair bit about. So I hope that this conversation is as informative for you as it was for me, and I hope that you enjoy this interview. My guest on this week's episode of No Bad Food is Liana LaBelle Rocha. Liana is a coffee specialist who's been working in the coffee world for about 10 years now. Is that right? A decade? 10 years, roughly? A decade, but I've been 
specializing in specialty coffee for about four to five years now. So I'm taking it more seriously now. Right. Yeah. yeah. You you started out doing the actor, doing the barista thing and then realized like, oh, I'm passionate about this and actually got invested. I love that. I, I think there's something really cool about getting really into the thing that you kind of just stumbled into and realizing it's your passion it's one of those things that feels like destiny a little bit you know a lot so yeah like it was just honestly it was a part-time job that I took really easy to do while going to school and then I learned about how it's 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 kind of like its own sort of wine and you measure things and the science behind it and I was just like holy shit this is really (laughs) mind-blowing and delicious yeah as well so yeah, I love oh, that. Started. That's it. it. It is one of those things that like coffee can feel like kind of an innocuous thing that you just, you know, go get your coffee on the way to work. But once you actually start to get to know things about it, I mean, like you said, it is like wine. There's so many, so many factors and so many things that go into the flavor of it. Uh, we're going to get into all that in a little bit. But at the top of the show, I always like to kind of chat with my guests a little bit and get to know them a little bit better uh, and especially get to know them in a way that gives the listeners a little bit more context. Because like, you know, we've known each other for, I think, about 10 years also. Like we met yeah. <laughs> back in, <laughs> did we meet in Sejap or just after Sejap? I believe we met in Sejap. I remember meeting you at, at Dawson or at least knowing of you Yeah. At- at Dawson. That makes like, sense. Like, we've crossed paths, yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Like, we've known each other for 10 years. So, like, I know you, but the listeners don't know you. So uh, why don't you paint us a broad picture of who you are as a person, how you grew up eating, what kind of stuff you eat now. Tell us about your relationship with food. And if, you know, if you want to tell us about your relationship with coffee as well, that'll make segueing after a whole lot easier. Oh, that's, like, a big question. I'm part Portuguese and part French-Canadian. So there is a little bit of a mixture growing up with like a lot of like European food and then also a little bit of like the kind of Quebecois food. Growing up, uh, both of my parents worked full-time jobs, but they also really loved uh, cooking and supper and the sharing of meals was really, really important. My father dropped his like office job and went to culinary school. Oh, wow. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was like, I'm just going to throw myself into culinary school. It had been his passion since he was a kid because his father, my grandfather, used to own a restaurant in Portugal. Unfortunately, the business didn't go really far. So they immigrated here. My grandfather tried again, uh, but it also didn't work out just because the food industry is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. But that passion around making delicious meals stuck with my father and kind of rubbed off on my mother and then on to me and my sisters. So eating at home, sometimes it was just like fish sticks and rice if my parents were really tired or something much more like kind of elaborate. Um, Sometimes my father would make like paella or he would make other like Portuguese dishes, bacalhau and stuff. So like I was really lucky growing up in hindsight with my parents they would kind of dive into other foods and other cuisines they would get a lot into indian food and then they would get into like japanese or korean so um definitely a mixture of many many different things and now i guess like growing up being an adult i've realized how much work and energy it is to put in a meal um and um because my my parents kind of spoiled me as a kid. I really wanted to also eat the fast food because I wasn't allowed to eat fast food. My parents were very strict about that. So (laughs) I'll sometimes 
like just like binge eat something or order food in or honestly just instant ramen is something that I really 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 love sure yeah. but I'll I'll add vegetables and stuff to it vegetables eggs sometimes I'll throw in like an alternative milk to make it kind of creamy hmm. and other nights I guess when I have time I'll make fresh pasta with my partner because my father again I'm gonna talk a lot about my dad that's okay <laughs> but um <laughs> he used to make uh, fresh pasta on uh, his days off because that's what he was being taught in culinary school. Cool. And I remember him just rolling out the pasta and then hanging it to dry. And that was probably one of the first images I remember at the age of four, just watching my father roll out the dough, knead it, press it, uh, cut it up. And since then, uh, I've done little like cooking lessons at friends and family I've really like dived into making like fresh pasta I'll spend like three hours after like an eight and a half hour shift just like <laughs> kneading dough and eating around like 10 p.m at night which right. is also just <laughs> very European and also just very extra but it makes me really happy yeah. and I have a lot of anxiety so doing something like labor intensive and really like physical with like a nice reward at the end is just really helps me de-stress totally <laughs> yeah i it's funny i uh first off thank you for sharing that because i uh i always love hearing people's stories and i really love i love hearing from people whose parents instilled a love of food in them i think there's something yeah. there's something really beautiful about that when you can kind of like give your kids that and it's something that I hope my kids will you know start to pick up on things have been yes. busy enough the past few years that it's kind of tricky to ever actually cook with them around but I uh, I think that there is a uh, appreciation for food at least on the eating front so far so oh, yeah. maybe someday <laughs> but I uh, uh, last month at one point we went to visit Teffer's brother and his partner because they just had a baby and uh, oh. so we got to meet the baby niece uh, and <laughs> I mean you know the the joys of meeting a, a new squishy baby aside the thing that really <laughs> stood out for me on that trip was we're all food people like every adult yeah. there is a food person so we ate a lot of really good food and one of the nights that we were there they pulled out a pasta making attachment for the KitchenAid mixer right and made yes. homemade pasta with the kids and seeing the way that our kids just got so into it and so excited about it and like you know they were taking turns loading the machine and yeah. chopping the noodles and like you know, once the food was served, they really enthusiastically ate it. And it was like, it was this really beautiful thing getting to see them go through that process, go through that ritual. Yeah. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me that like, you say you use that as a bit of a like, not coping, but like stress management mechanism kind of thing for anxiety. Like, as another person with anxiety, that really resonates that like, sometimes what you need to decompress is just like, a long slightly repetitive task with a nice reward yeah. at the end yeah no that's exactly it like i'm i'm lucky that my father and my mother too they both uh like included me and my siblings in cooking mm -hmm. um as well because for them it was like super important um that we learn how to cook and we learn how to taste the ingredients mm -hmm. and then just watching both of my grandmothers um spend a lot of time in the kitchen and big boisterous like Sunday like lunches and everybody grabbing everything and there's too much food and yet there's not enough food 
taking part in the cooking and sharing that like love with others and then eating it is just so much more rewarding yeah, as totally. well than just like waiting for a meal to come out. And like when I'll go to restaurants or I'll go to somebody else's home, like I'm always curious about like how they cook and what their their rituals are because there's right. a lot of rituals around like cooking in general. And I think everything is just, it's all really special and really personal and it's a great way to get to know somebody. Like I love to ask someone's kind of culinary like history when I first meet somebody. I love to cook for friends. Like the first time I meet somebody, my first thing that pops up in my head is like, ooh, what can I cook for them? Like once we like get close. Like yeah, I love that. I think that's that's a really like that's a fun instinct to have too, right? Of just like what oh like mm-hmm. let's like let's open that part of our lives to each other, right? Oh yes. Yeah, it's interesting like it's interesting talking about that like process that goes into things, right? The mm-hmm the you know spending time watching someone do something and learning their process and learning the sort of rituals behind it and learning the ways that they you know think about and and feel about the food that they're making and then kind of finding your way to do the same thing right whether it's doing yeah. it step by step the way they do it whether it's you know recreating it yourself but ultimately like even if you're you know <laughs> I hear all the time for people who like you know grew up watching their grandparents or their parents yeah. make something and like can't recreate it exactly the same way even though they were in the room a million times and even though their parent taught them how to do it there's always a little bit that gets lost in that translation period a little you exactly. know and I think there's something really beautiful about the like the the story that tells about a dish or about a meal yeah I, I, I really love that too because my, both of my grandmothers um, cooked a lot. I actually have a recipe book with all of my grandmother's recipes on my uh, Quebecois side of oh, like that rules. I love her, that. Like, oh, it's really cool. It's like all of her like boulettes and like her meat pies, and it's like really classic, like nothing nothing fancy. But sure. having that piece of her is really special. Um, on my father's side my uh, avo which is a grandmother in uh, portuguese she was just a fantastic home cook like she would cook with with uh, mainly with like codfish and she would make a bunch of rustic dishes and her soups were like to die for and i don't know how <laughs> she made it um she she passed like before i could spend um all the time i wanted with her in the kitchen mm-hmm. but my father has spent a lot of close time with her as well. So I've made a point to try and learn off of him. And sensorial memories are really um, strong and important, especially with like, when you think about food so much and flavor so much, like I'll, I made a soup recently, um, the same week that she passed away without kind of like thinking about, oh, this was her anniversary of her passing. And drinking that soup it just like hit me I'm like oh shit right like this is how she made it and it just brought kind of back a flood of memories and I know I'll never be as good a cook as as her but I know that I'll inspire like somebody else in the family or if I ever have kids you know of like oh yeah mom's like mom's soup or like mom's bacayao or you know so yeah, it's 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 you take a little piece of somebody's cooking and you kind of put yourself into it as well. And even though you maybe lose their way of doing it, it's it's kind of um, a transformation yeah. of that dish, which well, is 
special and like very layered as well. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, I, I feel like there is like, yeah, you're never going to make something exactly the way the other person did. But I think that yeah. that is kind of what's special about cooking, too. Right. Is that yeah. like because everyone else has their own little like ways of doing things, there's always going to be there's always going to be something unique about the way that you're making it. Right. And like, you'll probably never think that your own version is better than your grandparents, but like a sibling might, right. Or like your kid or your grandkid might, you know, have your version and be like, this is the best version of this. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that can compare. And like knowing that, knowing that every time that you cook with someone and learn something from someone in that way, a little piece of them stays with you. Yeah, there, that's really valuable. You know, there, there's there's something really beautiful and valuable about like, it, it's like a piece of your soul a little bit is given very to that other so. person. No, it's it's exactly that. Like around Christmas, there's um appetizers that she would make my Portuguese grandmother. And one in particular was called a risoish, which is basically like a Portuguese deep fried dumpling. Okay. And after she <clears throat> passed, like it was like, Who's going to make the risoish now? Is it going to be like, is it going to be like Nana? Is it going to be my father? Like, who's going to do it? So there was a Christmas where me and my aunt ended up making it, both of us. And her version was like beautiful, gorgeous. And mine was, um, (laughs) it didn't look pretty at all. And they were like double the size they should have been. And I... I kind of fried them with the wrong oil. Um, but everybody at the end of the dinner, like, took me aside and was like, your risoish were really good. Can I sneak some home? <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, please. You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> food doesn't have to look good to taste good, you know? No, definitely not. <laughs> no. I love that. All right, we are going to take a quick break to hop over to the mid-roll and hear some, you know, uh, bookkeeping type stuff that I got to do in the middle of the show. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about specialty coffee. All right, here we go. Mid-roll time. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of December, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 that they get in donations into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're functionally giving $6 worth of food to people who need it. That's really fun. On math and there's no other way to turn zero into six like that so if that's exciting for you go do it you can read all about what the depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode uh, i will remind you that uh, <laughs> tefer and i both use they them pronouns so in leaving your review of the show please make sure you don't misgender us it feels kind of bad to have ourselves misgendered in the reviews of our podcast that we work super hard on um it takes like two seconds and if you're someone who struggles with singular they them pronouns uh talk about the two of us at the same time because then you have no excuse because you're talking about two people but really it's 2021 so you just shouldn't be struggling with that anymore come on struggling with singular they them pronouns is so 2016 get over yourself leave us a nice review and we may even read it on the show lastly if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to the episode where taffer and i talked about the history of coffee a little bit uh, i would highly recommend going and queuing that up to listen to when you finish with this one we had a great time with it we learned a whole lot and uh, you might get some tips about how to use coffee in your baking or in your meat preparation maybe uh, that you just might find interesting and helpful All right, that's enough for me. Let's get back to my conversation with Leanna. 
Okay, so we're back. Uh, Leanna, we just spent a bunch of time talking about how learning the process of things can give us, you know, a really beautiful and complete picture of food, of of cooking, of dishes, of recipes, of cultures. Um, And and I'm curious because I know that you, obviously we introduced the show this way, have spent a ton of time learning about coffee. And especially in the past like five or six years, you've spent a lot of time on specialty coffee and third wave stuff. Now, I know basically nothing about... (laughs) coffee from a like production standpoint uh you know i know i know a little bit of coffee history because we did an episode that covered a little bit of that and i know what i like in coffee but i am far from a coffee specialist so i'm really really curious about you know all of the stuff that you know about so i guess my my kind of first question is like what is the kind of coffee work that you do Can, can you explain that sort of broadly i guess yes um so i work in specialty third wave coffee. Basically what third wave coffee is, is we uh, treat coffee uh, as a wine um, in a sense, in terms of finding like specific tasting notes, uh, getting the best beans, um, brewing everything, measuring everything. So there's a lot of uh, time and care put behind um, just brewing like a simple shot of espresso or even brewing just like a filter. And it's really putting the beans genre en valeur sure in yeah. a sense uh, to, uh, to translate uh, it, it values the beans it puts them in focus in focus exactly yeah. and then the other side of third wave is the the environmental and like sustainable um, attention that's given so in third wave coffee you'll often hear that our beans are direct trade and not fair trade which means that the coffee shop or the roaster has um, a direct relationship with the farmers, meaning that your roaster will go to Guatemala or go to Ethiopia, meet with the farmer, meet with the producer, choose the beans, um, generally a smaller lot of uh, green beans. Mm. And uh, green beans are basically uh, coffee beans that haven't been roasted yet. So they're actually like a pale greenish pistachio color. Oh, cool. And yeah, it's really cool. And generally, it's direct trade, and you generally pay um, a living wage. So it's about uh, sustaining the farmer and mm-hmm. their family, and then the environmental impact of buying like a smaller lot of beans and more quality beans as well. So not trying to have such like a huge impact on the environment and buying very very big lots of beans, right. which takes up a lot of um, space and resources and uh, manpower because I don't think that most of us think about the manpower Mm -hmm. and the environmental impact that coffee has. So Third Wave is trying to sort of boil down coffee into an experience rather than just uh, a stimulant. I love that. that. That's very yeah. cool. And I also, I'm going to take a second to appreciate that you said boil down while talking about coffee. I caught that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that I, thought, was on purpose. <laughs> I think that is like, that is a very, very cool approach. That's, I think it's really, really hard to source everything ethically and yeah. sustainably. So whenever I hear about initiatives like this and I hear about, you know, people who go out of their way to make that happen i'm like yeah that's that's really good like that that ought to be the trend (laughs) so it's nice to know that there are people doing it i think that this is kind of slowly where uh things are moving towards like 
in like a weird way, the pandemic kind of helped with that because mm. the 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 entire world kind of slowed down. And I think we paused and realized what's really important to us and how um, we want to to acquire those things and the effort that it takes um, as well. And the importance of like buying local and the importance of knowing the person um, behind the products that we consume as well mm. and how much we consume, you know? Yeah. I, I think people are slowly starting to think more deeply about what they buy and why they buy it as well. I mean, you can go to Tim Hortons and get something for a dollar and it's quick, it's fast, it's easy, but the coffee's a dollar for a reason, but we right. don't really think about why it's it's a dollar. And then it gets complicated because not not everyone can afford a five dollar latte. Right. Yeah. Well that's it. Like that that's where it kind of and I always, you know, when we talk about, you know, things like this, I like to make sure that people know if you can only afford to get the coffee that's not ethically sourced, that is not you being unethical. That is the companies that like keep that system going being unethical like we like we we don't live where the coffee is right like Mm -hmm. all the coffee that we are going to get in north america is going to be you know brought over from somewhere and the unfortunate reality of it is is that it is a product that has really deep roots in slavery really deep roots in the exploitation of people in third world countries and like those roots are not gone by any means and like yeah like it is it is unfortunate that like in order for people who don't have the budget to buy fair trade and and direct trade products in order for you to still have coffee you have to buy stuff that like perpetuates that system but it's not on you as the consumer no there's there's no way to (laughs) here's that phrase again there's no ethical consumption under capitalism as long as the capitalist system keeps this going it is the system's fault so don't feel bad about yourself if you are someone who can only afford to get the cheap slave labor coffee yeah exactly (laughs) it's there's a lot of um pretentiousness Mm -hmm. like pretension um in third wave coffee as well. And it's also a very classist, a very um, male dominated white cis, like I don't want to get, we can get really political if you'd like, but it- That's it, up to you, I'm, like, I'm happy to, but- <laughs> I, I don't want to completely get too um, too intense into that. Sure. Um, but I think it does need to be to be called out. Like yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, put a friend down for you know, just just going to Tim Hortons or just going to Second Cup because, like, you know what? Like, it's it's cheap and mm-hmm. it's not expensive. And if I wasn't working in the coffee industry, I wouldn't be able to afford like half the coffee that I I consume because sure. it's it's very expensive. So I'm lucky that I can get a discount or I can have like coffee for free at work. Right. But I won't if I didn't work in this industry I wouldn't be able to afford what I consume which also like says a lot about um the industry itself yeah it's it's tricky because you you want to pay people a fair living wage you want to pay the farmers a fair living wage so that will up the cost of coffee and up the cost of beans right and only a certain class of people can afford that while the rest of the population can't and that's like a very big part of the population so they can only 
consume the cheaper stuff, which is just reeked with um, exploitation as well. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a tricky balance. Um, and that's also not to say that there isn't any uh, exploitation in like third wave coffee either. Sure. But yeah. there's a lot left. And yeah. I'm I'm hoping like over time that things will become less expensive. Mm-hmm. Or if you are going to buy like a $20 bag of coffee that you'll really like, and it's all you can afford, like you'll, you'll covet it and you won't just like consume it quickly. Yeah. Well, that's it, right? It, it's tricky because it's one of those products that we do go through really fast, right? Like, uh, yeah. I think about this a lot because I work at a, at a like specialty butcher now and like, Ooh. you know, the, the meat that we sell is all locally sourced and like it's very good and it's very good quality. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of thing that, like you said about coffee, like I wouldn't be able to afford the meat that I sell if I didn't get the perks of, you know, working at the place that sells it. Right. And I'm so aware of that because then I turn around and I go to the other like local grocery store. That's like selling the cheap stuff. That's cheap for a reason. And I'm like, Oh yeah this is the same price as what I sell because of my discount, but without my discount, like this is what I can afford. And like, you see the quality difference and you know, like, even if you haven't, you know, watched horrifying videos on YouTube or, you know, heard all of the propaganda around, you know, why meat is murder. Like, you know, (laughs) you know, deep down that the process that this meat comes from is not good right and like exactly it's so hard because like you still need to eat and you still need to you know Mm. caffeinate like you could argue that you maybe don't need coffee but like I need coffee so you know fuck that I do need coffee right like it's it's not (laughs) people need to eat and drink and and feel good in order to survive and like it's so hard when you get into the like nitty-gritty of like sourcing and sustainability because those are not on the individual as a consumer. But, not at all. Yeah, but like it's still really important for the consumer to be informed about it, you know? Exactly. Um, which is interesting because like if if you're ever if you ever want to know whether your beans are third wave or second wave, mm, yeah. Um, one thing that third wave uh, roasters do is on their beans they'll always write um, not just the country that it comes from but the region or even the town and Ah. sometimes even the name of the farm and the name of uh, the farmer as well that's interesting that's another link to wine eh? yeah another link to wine but it also um, humanizes the industry yeah as well because you're not just like oh I'm buying my dark roast or I'm buying my light roast or my medium roast it's like oh no I I got this bag of Costa Rican coffee and it was made by Walter Fernandez uh, and I can't wait to try it, you know? And like, I, I like that that's the direction that um, third wave coffee has taken because people get really invested in it. And I think when people know where the money is going to, and there's more of that transparency Mm -hmm. and that democratization of coffee, people feel more, comfortable i guess around what they consume and what they're buying yeah absolutely well and and that's like that's i think how things used to be pre-industrialization right like you would buy from farmers you knew the farmers because they were kind of your neighbors or if they weren't your neighbors you at least bought from them face to face and like 
industrialization and also, you know, the slave trade made that so much more impersonal. And coming back to things that feel personal, even, you know, across an ocean, because like, again, you know, from south america to north america there's there's water in the way and you know you're not necessarily (laughs) going to meet the people who are making the beans but the person who's selling them to you might meet them and like just having that connection it's huge it makes such a big difference it i mean it's like you said it humanizes the product and it humanizes the people making the product and like in an ideal world everything would go back to being that way I, i don't know if we can ever uh get to that point yeah but i'm i'm liking that there's at least like an effort towards that. Um, what's interesting about about coffee beans is that the the farmers who produce the beans, many of them have never roasted uh, with their own beans. They've never tasted their own coffee because it's 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 an export product. Right. You know, North North America um, imports a lot of that coffee, um, and you know because of that, there's kind of like a like a missing resource or a missing. I, I, I can't find the word, but like power or in a sense of like these people are producing the the coffee beans for us, but they, they're not given the tools to then like roast their own coffee. Yeah. And they've never tasted their own coffee. So there's there's kind of there's a disconnect a for them. A disconnect and a, like like what I think fourth wave coffee will be, and this has started happening in some at some coffee farms, especially in like Colombia and Brazil, is coffee farmers are kind of like taking back their product and roasting their own beans and selling it locally um, and like producing their own uh, roasted coffee and having like, like Colombians will drink their Colombian coffee from like a smaller like roaster now as well. Mm. Uh, And like in Ethiopia, I'm not sure what's happening in Ethiopia, but Ethiopian beans are very uh, fruity and sweet and delicious and mm-hmm. can taste like wine and, and juice and fruits and fruit punch and stuff. But the farmers themselves, they just like export everything because that's what the relationship has been for mm-hmm. centuries, you know? And I feel like if you can, if farmers also have that, the tools and the knowledge to roast their own coffee, it kind of can further open up um, other opportunities. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and even thinking about it, like from a, from a, how does everybody win here kind of standpoint? Cause like, yeah. y- like, you know, y- you said it, I don't know if we will ever get to that place where everything is sourced locally, but I think that our best bet for that a lot of the time is either to completely dismantle capitalism, which is hard because capitalism <laughs> is very self-sustaining, or to convince capitalism to make changes that benefit people, which is also really difficult, but I think is maybe easier than dismantling it. And the the thought that I'm having here is if, you know, farmers are not tasting their beans, they're not roasting them and tasting them, if we you know, we as consumers, I guess, if the industry enables the farmers to roast and taste their own beans, that may end up leading to innovations among the farmers that make the beans better, right? And then the beans that get exported will be that much better and capitalism wins, right? But capitalism wins while also empowering the farmers by making them not just the people who grow and cultivate the beans, but also the people who get to be kind of artisans with it right yeah yeah that's that's, That's fascinating that's that's definitely the direction that i would like to see uh fourth wave coffee go 
rather than just like like to give an example around cotton like the, mm -hmm. the, the people who the enslaved people who used to pick cotton wouldn't necessarily weave it out and mm -hmm. then make they did not have that opportunity to turn it into like beautiful garments and, and clothing it would all just be you know exported right given away yeah it would and get I exported think... to to britain and then shipped back as clothing to america and exactly yeah, it, which, which is, is ridiculous which is like a weird stupid mindfuck and i think i think that if like farmers are given the resources and the autonomy to roast their own mm -hmm. their own coffee and if they can be like have more power over their own choices and their will and then and their life in a sense like the, the the coffee industry can become hopefully more um more ethical and more sustainable and it might mean that you know we'll have to drink coffee less or it, coffee might go up but if it helps everyone <laughs> i think that that's that's the right um di direction to go into yeah yeah that's it, it it's interesting like I, I keep coming back to that thing you said at the beginning about coffee as wine and how the i think the key difference between them in my mind and like what i think could be a stumbling block there is and tell me if this makes sense but like because coffee is a stimulant and wine is not <laughs> People rely on coffee more than people rely on wine, right? You know, because of the sort of daily consumption nature of coffee, I'm assuming that people go through a lot more coffee than than wine. And like wine can afford to be a sort of luxury product that like, you know, you might buy a bottle a week or if you drink a lot of wine a day. Uh, in that case, you know, this this breaks down. But like, you know, let's say you buy a bottle of wine every like week or two and you like have a little bit here and there and it's a, a treat. Whereas coffee, because it's such a daily thing, because it's something that like, I don't know, like I could drink a pot of coffee in a day, like a bag <laughs> will go away in a couple of days. And like, because of that, it like, it can't be as expensive and niche as wine, you know? The specialty coffee world is definitely very niche. Um, like I will, I have, oh, this is very embarrassing, but I have probably 10 different bags of, of coffee with me and each, each bag has different, uh, flavor notes and profiles mm. and, um, also a different process, uh, process meaning like how the, the coffee cherry was handled after it was picked. Was mm. it a washed process? Was it, uh, an aerobic uh, was it a natural process? And like that also has like an impact on the bean and then an impact on taste. So when you get really into coffee, um, roasters will have like a special edition that they might come out with of like, oh, this is like our, our geisha. It's really rare. It tastes like uh, mango and blackberry uh, and jasmine, um, for example. And coffee enthusiasts will sort of gather and do these things called uh, cuppings, which is... Um, <laughs> is that real? The... Yes, it's real. I did one today, actually. <laughs> and we'll gather around uh, and we'll prepare coffee in a specific way for a cupping. Mm. And it's it's meant for you to taste the profile and the specific notes of the coffee. Okay. And to really kind of catch everything. And... It's like as if you were to go, like a wine tasting menu. Right. I'm sorry, my cat. That's okay. Your cat's welcome here. <laughs> it's basically like if, if you were to visit kind of a vineyard and you're going to try a little bit of their, 
I don't know. I don't know wines that much. Sure, but like yeah. they're they're red and they're orange, and you're like, ooh, wee wee. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what um, uh, cuppings do in a sense. Even the method that you brew your your coffee mm-hmm. tells a lot about your relationship with coffee. Somebody who has like just like a flat drip at home, so like a regular filter coffee machine, is mm-hmm. is somebody who just wants their stimulant, right. their chocolatey coffee, their nutty coffee, but then somebody will have something like a like a v60 which is a manual drip so you're manually manipulating yeah uh, and brewing the coffee yourself and somebody who does that is somebody who's who wants to like sit down quietly and sip on the coffee and taste all the little notes Mm -hmm. you know yeah Um, well we have we have one of those i think i mean ours is the like glass uh the bottom one but oh okay yeah. but like i i googled v60 and i'm seeing we had one it just uh the bottom part of it broke but it's like the same oh, no. it's like functionally the same really it's just ceramic instead of glass right yeah there's different kinds there's like plastic v60s ceramic v60s and glass ones okay i have a, a plastic one that one of my old cafes didn't want anymore because it had a chip on it and i'm like well give me that because coffee <laughs> equipment's expensive yeah no kidding i'll take it so before we wrap up, what's some advice you would give to someone who wants to like start taking their coffee more seriously? I guess the first thing would be to visit different local coffee shops and establish a relationship with your barista. Because the moment you ask your barista, oh, what's in the hopper or what's on espresso, like our faces light up. We're like, oh, somebody wants to know all of the time and effort that I put into producing this like delicious bean juice. It's like a really good way, like asking what are the tasting notes or what do you have on Spro? Those are like really good ways to kind of think more or get more into coffee. Mm. Uh, I'd also encourage people to visit the Canadian Roasting Society. Okay. So this was um, a project that was started uh, by a coffee veteran. Their name is uh, Andy. And he opened up the Canadian Roasting Society as a space for uh, small independent roasters, people who don't have um, a lot of money to come. Yeah, roast this beans. place. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's fantastic because there's like nine different like local independent uh, Montreal roasters who roast there and they're open seven days a week. You can walk in and honestly, like, Choose a bag that of coffee with notes that you're familiar with and then choose a second bag of something that's really funky and crazy mm. and kind of challenge yourself. You know, pick up that bag of coffee that says it's going to taste like strawberries and citrus and honey, you know, yeah. um, and, and ask your barista what's the best way to prepare it. Like, I would encourage people to push themselves uh, out of their comfort zone, but not too much because it can also be very jarring to sure. go from drinking like strong black, dark chocolatey Italian coffee to something that's almost like a tea-like drip or V60. Right. That that you know it's 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 very jarring. So start slow and build a relationship with your barista and build a relationship with those smaller coffee shops because we we love to share. We love coffee and we love to share <laughs> coffee with people. I love that. Yeah, I think it is a like just generally a a good piece of advice to like 
not be afraid to ask questions when you want to yeah. know something about a thing, right? Like, I, like just echoing that, like at the butcher, I love it when people ask me questions. I'm like, yeah, please. Like, I'd love to, you know, tell you which steak I think is best here. Or like, you know, if you tell me like, you know, which one would you buy? I will point and show you. And I, it, it brings joy to the people who are working who like, you know, oftentimes are yeah. not necessarily making a ton of money doing the thing that they're doing, but still love doing it. And it also gives you a chance to build that relationship. So that's huge. Yeah. So ask questions. Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone and build those relationships. I love that. Some shops that I guess I would recommend, some mm-hmm. coffee shops I recommend people go to would be, um, so there's Café de la Cinquième, which is a vegan zero waste coffee shop, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I, I love that shop just because it's a very down to earth uh, coffee shop. There's plants there as well. And they have a bunch of different roasters from Montreal and they have a very close relationship um, with the coffee community. Everybody there is really passionate. Uh, I helped train them as well nice. on uh, coffee tasting. And I don't work there anymore, but I still visit from time to time. I'd also recommend uh, Structure, which is where I'm currently working at right now. My boss is really big on uh, democratizing um, coffee and trying to make it accessible to everybody. Cool. Um, my Yeah, my team loves tasting coffee. We love sharing coffee. One of our, uh, we also roast our own coffee. So we have a very close relationship with the coffee we serve. We roast it ourselves. That rules. I love that. Yeah, I guess, I guess if I had to, to, to suggest or plug somebody else in um, Cafe Roundhouse. Mm. Uh, is also uh, a fantastic coffee shop. So uh, it's not third wave coffee, it's second wave, but it's basically uh, coffee meets activism, Mm -hmm. specifically uh, indigenous um, persons where uh, they're trained on producing coffee, making coffee, serving coffee, and connects them uh, as well with the community around the plateau. That's awesome. I love that. It's it's a really lovely initiative, and that one's in the the plateau. So uh, Cafe Roundhouse is also just uh, fantastic and a very humanizing uh, environment that puts people first. Amazing. As well, I'll include yeah. links to uh, to all three of those in the description of this episode for ease of access for anyone looking to check it out. Um, I guess some coffee professionals that I want to plug. They're mainly from the states. Sure. Um, there's not a lot in Montreal, but there is uh, Casey Makes Coffee. Uh, she's fantastic. She's won a couple of championships, and she's also really good at people who are curious about coffee to learn more uh, and how. There is also the Chocolate Barista, um, and she also uh, is somebody that connects the wider world with like Black-owned coffee shops, uh, person of color-owned coffee shops as well, and is really uh, implicated uh, in the community too. All right, I'm going to butcher their name. I apologize. There's also Umeko Motoyoshi. Okay. Um, and they are uh, a queer, non-binary licensed coffee taster who uh, they also share a lot of like coffee activism and coffee initiatives. Uh, they're a fantastic educator and they're also working on sort of like democratizing coffee and including more like non-white people in coffee. 
<laughs> nice. I love that. Well, Leanna, thank you so much for phoning in, for sharing some of your story, and for telling us a little bit about Third Wave Coffee. I know I know more now than I did an hour ago, so hopefully that will be true for the listeners as well. Excellent. That was the goal. I'm really happy. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to be part of the conversation? Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod or at TomZalatni. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, you can head to Patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendallin, Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Killian, Sarah Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that's exciting, for you and there's something you really want to hear us talk about and analyze on the show, you can head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to make that happen. We also have merch and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at Public. and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating review on your podcatcher of choice, especially Apple Podcasts or by sharing the episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links to support both of them in the description of this episode. And last but certainly not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next time, and remember, there's no such thing as bad food. Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends, a show where I talk to some good friends of mine. And I think you're going to like them just as much as I do, because they're crazy, and they're wacky, and they're hilarious, and they're definitely real people, and not characters made up just for the sake of comedy. It comes out every Monday, early in the morning. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.